You're listening to the Candida Chronicles with your host, Dr. Jeff McCombs. Welcome to the Candida Chronicles, a podcast where we learn all about Candida and how to safely and effectively treat it. I'm Dr. Jeff McCombs, and I'll be your host for today's episode on Candida diets and probiotics. Okay, uh, today's show is really an exciting area to talk about, Candida and probiotics. Probiotics are the uh, beneficial strains and species of friendly bacteria that we have been able to cultivate and use in helping to balance and heal the body. And whereas we used to pay no attention to them and really didn't think much of uh, these beneficial bacteria, there's now a lot of good research on various species and specific strains of those species that have demonstrated multiple benefits that uh, include regulating our immune system, influencing our cardiovascular health and our brain health, a big link between uh, brain and the gut and the microbiome. Uh, They control infectious microbes and diseases. They digest, they absorb, and they even synthesize uh, nutrients in the body, which is amazing that this thing that we never really considered to be significant uh, actually helps our body to be healthy in many ways. And one of those is creating nutrients that the body needs. Uh, They control the pH They neutralize toxins. They are known to transform chemicals and heavy metals into less toxic substances to uh, biotransform them so that they don't harm the body. Uh, They reduce inflammation. They help to regulate organs such as the liver and pancreas. They help to ensure that pregnancies go full term. This is really interesting. I mean, this means that they play a vital role in ensuring the ongoing existence of humans. Um, So that's pretty amazing because we've never really considered them to be that important. But that's part of the the ongoing realization of how important bacteria and probiotics, uh, as we use them, can be. They can uh, influence our behavior. And uh, some recent research shows that they actually even influence our food choices. So that helps to ensure that they keep uh, surviving along with us. Uh, all of this and is really just scratching the surface because we're just beginning to understand their significance. I get articles every week on the newly discovered benefits of probiotics or the bacteria, the microbiome. And we're just beginning to realize how important... Uh, bacteria are to health of the human body. Um, And known probiotics are really just a small number of the beneficial bacteria that exist in the body. We might know perhaps up to maybe a hundred different species of bacterial strains that make up the different various different probiotic formulas out there. Um, And that's just a small representation of what lives in the body, simply because most of what lives in the body is what we would call an obligate anaerobe. It's obligated to live in a very low oxygen or no oxygen environment. So as soon as you expose it to air, it dies. So it's very difficult to cultivate and and utilize the majority of the bacteria that's in the body, simply because we can't do that. Um, There's no way to manufacture that uh, as of yet. 
and uh, utilize that in the body in that way. So what we use as probiotics, although very effective, really represents such a very, very small portion of what is available to us and what is actually working for us on a daily basis. What would we discover if we could cultivate more of these species? I think it would be just amazing. I mean, we, we've only, we only know so much, so little, but we're discovering how important that is to human health and how important it is to, as I mentioned, making sure that the, the human species continues to exist. Um, so there's a lot of information coming forward these days on the benefits of probiotics, on the benefits of the bacteria that make up the human microbiome or the collection of bacteria and uh, other microorganisms that are in the body. Uh, we know that there are over 10,000 species of bacteria that together make up somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 trillion organisms in the body as compared to the 10 trillion human cells that make up the body. And that these 100 trillion organisms, that is what constitutes the human microbiome. And so there's so much that we are continually learning about the bacteria and the microbes that live in us and on us. Uh, the research that's being done in this area is nonstop. Uh, it used to be that I would constantly see studies that would state that there were 400 to 500 species of bacteria in the human body. Then in the early 90s, I saw a study that cited 1,000 species. But then after that, for the next 10 years, you would still see only 4 to 500 species uh, referenced in all these studies. And I think that really has to do with whoever writes the sort of preamble, the beginning part of these studies are typically grad students who are referencing outdated material. But you would look back into the, the early 90s and see that we knew that there were at least a thousand back then. And now since the microbiome project, we know that there are at least 10,000 species of bacteria in the body. And I have even seen one paper that cited as much as 40,000 species. So in the end, who knows? Uh, we keep discovering more and more. And that's, that those numbers are probably only going to increase. And we're going to continue to find out more. So whether it's in uh, the range of 10,000 to 40,000 or more, there's a lot. And there's a lot that we don't know. Uh, thanks to the Microbiome Project, which was a collection of scientists from all over the world working together to decipher the human microbiome. We've learned a lot more, but uh, you know, even they basically came to the conclusion that there was a massive amount of uh, research still to be done in this area. And uh, when scientists really talk about the significance of these bacteria, they use terms like essential, critical, necessary, crucial, and vital. Um, when describing the bacterial flora, that plays a role in our daily health. Some scientists have even stated that the microbiome is important of an organ as the brain or liver, uh, which makes you wonder how anybody could take antibiotics. Antibiotic, which means against life, destroys all the bacteria in the body in a matter of five to seven days. So within a five to seven day period, you're destroying an organ which is considered by scientists to be as important as the brain or liver, completely wiped out in five to seven days. Now, it does grow back, unlike the brain or liver, which probably wouldn't have that ability, uh, in humans at least, um, but that can take uh, three to four months. Uh, in some studies, it's shown as long as nine months. So what's happening in the body for 
three to four months and nine months and what's happening as a result of antibiotics having interfered or broken down that natural ecosystem of the body. Um, no wonder so many people have seen their health and their lives fall apart after taking antibiotics. It's definitely something I've heard time and time again from patients and it's something that's not going to stop as antibiotic use continues to increase and as uh, the medical profession as a whole continues to ignore all these dire prophecies about the um, all the deaths that are coming our way due to antibiotic resistant organisms which we no longer have a way to treat. Um, so antibiotics against life seems like an appropriate term whereas probiotics are for life and that is also appropriate. It used to be that anytime you were given antibiotics you would also be given probiotics but that practice went away years ago um, when medical doctors really focused more on drugs being the answer but now we have research that's coming around again showing that the practice should be renewed as many harmful effects of antibiotics can be lessened by taking probiotics at the same time. So again there's still a lot that we don't know although probiotics are really only a limited number of species they still can have tremendous benefits. Fortunately today there is such a thing as uh, fecal transplants where we take the feces of one person and transplant it into another. And to date where this does exist, it tends to be highly regulated um, due to the possibility that someone might receive an infection or something that they wouldn't want to receive uh, or just a new set of imbalances. Um, so this is an, a, again a new area as all this entire area really is uh, in terms of the length of time this has been studied. But the uh, success rate of fecal transplants has been very dramatic and amazing especially in cases of antibiotic-resistant infections such as Clostridium difficile. Now, I think it was in um, probably around 2012 or 2012 or 2013. Prior to that, E. coli was the number one cause of de uh, death from infectious organisms. Um, and that was surpassed then by Clostridium difficile. So both of these, what we're talking about is an antibiotic-resistant strain. Uh, Clostridium difficile probably is, I think, estimated to kill maybe around 30 to 35,000 people a year in the United States. Um, but what we've seen with the use of fecal transplants is that the success rate is in the neighborhood of 85 to 90 percent, I believe, whereas the use of antibiotics to treat this has about a 15 to 20 percent success rate. So fecal transplants sort of represents what we could do more closely if we could culture more of the bacteria in the body and use those in a therapeutic way, but uh, we aren't able to do that with probiotics and we're missing out on a lot of the good bacteria that's there, but there are other ways and I think as the years go by we're going to see fecal transplants uh, utilized in new ways and more reliable ways and therapies that produce amazing results. Now when it comes to candida diets, many diets have you start taking probiotics from the very beginning. But that may not be very wise, and I'll tell you why. The main species of bacteria found in probiotics, and you can go check any store, any, any product out there, uh, the main species are going to be the lactobacillus species. The lactobacillus bacteria makes up the majority of all probiotic formulas. Um, if you have eight strains in a formula, you're likely to have a couple of bifidobacteria, uh, one's, um, one possible yeast strain, and then the rest are all going to be lactobacillus. 
um, whether lactobacillus acidophilus, KCI, paracaceae, um, rhamnosus, it's just going to be all lactobacillus species. Um, and although the lactobacillus species is not the most numerous species in the gut, it is a very important species, especially in probiotic therapy. Among other things, uh, it produces lactic acid, which helps to regulate the gut pH, and that um, it helps to acidify the gut, and that can have a strong anti-candida effect, as pH is one of the triggers for candida. So as the pH gets more towards an alkaline range, that is one of the things that causes candida to convert from its yeast to its fungal form. And then when you go from back to the acid, more of an acid range, then it will convert back from the fungal form to the yeast form. So probiotics help to regulate the pH. Um, lactobacillus also inhibits the growth or overgrowth of candida. And so long as it has, so long as it's present in the body and exerting its influence, uh, the lactobacillus bacteria help to keep candida in check. Lactobacillus bacteria have also been shown to inhibit candida via not only via the acids, but via peroxidases and hypothiocyanate. These are other mechanisms that it uses to inhibit the growth of candida. Once the bacteria is eliminated, however, everything switches around the other way. Candida grows unchecked by the lack of lactobacillus present, and then candida in turn will inhibit the growth and recolonization of the gut by lactobacillus bacteria. This has been demonstrated by researchers from the University of Michigan Medical School in 2012, and where they stated that the presence of candida albicans resulted in long-term reduction in lactobacillus species. So once you have the lactobacillus there, it inhibits candida. Once you eliminate the lactobacillus via antibiotic use, then candida grows and it prevents the lactobacillus from growing back in the body. Um, and this is also very important because the lactobacillus is a very key strain in the body. It plays a role in helping to determine the ratios of the other bacteria in the gut, in the microbiome of the gut. Um, it's important to, what we believe, to correct fungal candida first and then introduce probiotics at a time when they will be most effective. Introducing them prior to correcting the candida problem can be a waste of money, waste of time, and um, may actually increase inflammation as you get a lot of competition between the different various species. Uh, another reason, possible reason, not to use probiotics too early on in the treatment of candida is that probiotics tend to support whichever immune system response is dominant at the time that they're introduced in the body. Uh, candida has a very unique ability, a very powerful way to influence our body's immune system. And it can cause a shift in the immune system response towards a response that favors the growth of candida in the body. So taking probiotics before candida is corrected could actually support the wrong immune system response and may play a role in assuring that candida stays around much longer. Um, but the main reason would definitely be that as long as candida is present, it actually prevents the lactobacillus species from really recolonizing the gut and, and taking hold again and establishing itself and being able to provide all the benefits um, that are 
associated with this presence. Uh, also, there was a 2009 study from the researchers at the University of Wisconsin that showed that there was no clear benefit in treating candida with probiotics alone. So the idea of uh, using a candida diet and probiotics isn't really going to be very successful. Uh, it's really a lot more about how you time the use of the uh, probiotics in order to get the most benefit from their use. Um, so that's, uh, that's sort of it in a nutshell with candida diets and probiotics. We've been doing this for over 23 years. Um, we've found that if you introduce probiotics too soon, it makes uh, the diet less effective. Um, it makes it harder to get rid of candida. Um, and uh, we haven't really found any great benefit to taking probiotics too soon. As a matter of fact, we find that it can actually complicate things. So we introduce uh, probiotics on the candida plan at week seven. So we're really addressing uh, fungal candida for six weeks first. And then that gives us the opportunity then it, at week seven to bring in the probiotics to have the most effective result. And when people have tried it the other way, and it's happened many times over 23 years, everybody likes to play around sometimes with the diet. And uh, when they've tried it with the probiotics, it, it definitely decreases the effectiveness of the plan. So whereas if you stick to the, the diet as it's laid out, then you have the greatest benefits uh, possible. Um, so let's see. Today, I actually like to do a question each time. And um, today's question was, uh, let me see, we have a question and a case study. Let's do the case study first. Uh, we had a woman in her 40s. She presented in the office with extreme chronic fatigue of five to six years duration. She had foggy thinking, she had memory loss, uh, intermittent sensations in her head, food allergies, multiple chemical sensitivities, and numerous other physical complaints, uh, as well as a um, little bit of weight gain. Um, she had been to her general practitioner, had blood work done, had MRIs done to really assess the, uh, the memory loss and the sensations in her head that she was experiencing um, nothing showed up in any of the testing, and that's often very common with testing. The best testing can do is serve as an indicator, but it's not proof positive one way or the other. Based on nothing showing up in her testing, however, in this case, her doctor simply told her it was all in her head, and he wanted her to start taking drugs. So that's pretty typical. Uh, here we have nothing showing up, nothing to indicate a need for drug use, nothing to really indicate that uh, the patient had a mental condition or uh, some other condition, but uh, the response, as is so, uh, so too common in the medical profession, is to blame the patient and write it off as some type of mental condition where the patient is actually wasting the doctor's time and then suggest that they start uh, taking drugs. And in this case, this is someone who had already stated that they had chemical sensitivities and his solution was to give her more chemicals uh, in spite of her chemical sensitivity. So um, that's something that's very typical, it's something that doesn't really surprise most people um, who are in the alternative health field and um, people who are seeking care in that field are all too well aware of this uh, common occurrence. So we started her on the plan right away. After three weeks of the plan, she felt like she had the energy that she had when she was in her 20s. 
she was no longer dragging herself out of bed each day. She got up at the crack of dawn. She was excited to start her day. She lost, I think, about seven pounds within the first three weeks. Uh, by week seven, her brain fog and memory had improved. Her chemical sensitivities were reduced. Uh, by the end of the plan, most of her symptoms were gone. Uh, she still had some difficulty with some of the foods that are actually in the no list, uh, which is governed, uh, associated with the first eight weeks of the plan, so foods that aren't on that part of the plan. Um, but those were foods that are, we commonly find troublesome in people, such as wheat, sugar, nuts, sometimes certain legumes, definitely processed foods. Um, she was still having issues with that, and I don't really think those were problems so much as her body really just giving her good feedback and telling her what didn't work for the body. Um, you know, if this was a good outcome, uh, unfortunately, if she had gone the medical route, she would still be on drugs. Uh, those drugs would then cause her to need to go on other drugs to handle some of the side effects. Um, her situation would have worsened over time with no hope in sight. And whereas on, with the plan, what we saw was following a good diet and reversing the effects of previous antibiotic use, uh, in a short time, really, it's a 16-week plan. It's a relatively short time for everything that she had been dealing with for years. Uh, she was able to resume a normal, healthy life. Uh, she basically resolved the majority of all her issues, and this is something that is so easy to do. It's something that happens time and time again in holistic healthcare practices. Uh, diet is a big plays a big role in health, and uh, reversing the effects of toxins in the body, the effects of antibiotics can really straighten out, and as we've seen with uh, probiotics and the microbiome, those that bacteria plays a very significant role. So once we alter the composition of the microbiome, we alter its function, we alter its effect in the body, and everything changes. So it should be a goal after any type of antibiotic use, any, after any antibiotic therapy, that we uh, reverse the negative effects, and of course, if you're taking antibiotics, take probiotics at the same time. Okay, so now to today's question. Uh, this was from a woman uh, who had emailed me this week. And her question is, my 10-year-old son was diagnosed with PANDAS in July. I read Dr. Perlmutter's Brain Maker and how a boy with my son's condition was given retention enemas to heal his microbiome. I have been searching for a physician with knowledge in this area and came across your forum. Do you see patients of my son's age? Are you familiar with pandas? Uh, so yes, I'm, I'm familiar with pandas. Uh, for those of you who aren't, pandas stands for uh, pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with streptococcal infections. Um, you know, sort of a tragedy that this would show up in children. Uh, it's a neurological autoimmune condition characterized by tics, obsessions, compulsions, uh, other neurological symptoms, and these are all associated to be caused by streptococcus bacterial infections. Although this association still remains unproven and is really highly questioned by a lot of scientists in the field. Uh, but the, end, the main part is that it's thought that the body is attacking the brain, and some people think that that attack is a result of streptococcus bacteria in the body. So, first off, when I see a question like this, uh, I'm looking at strep, th strep throat. Strep throat is very common in children. It's common in a lot of people. 
And what happens when you have strep throat? You get antibiotics. So when I see streptococcus bacteria associated with different disorders, my first assumption is generally going to be that I'm assuming that these people have been treated with antibiotics. And that in itself can basically be responsible for all the symptoms associated with this disorder. Um, if you take antibiotics, that means that it is very likely that you may have some type of permanent inflammation of the brain from antibiotic use and how it affects the microbiome and how that then affects the brain. This has been shown in, in studies. Um, if you take antibiotics, you destroy the bacteria, you release substances within the bacteria that the human body is very highly allergic to. Um, and then that then creates a lot of inflammation. And inflammation is a common cause of many neurological disorders, such as depression, anxiety, dementia, Alzheimer's, tics, Tourette's, autism, obsessive-compulsive behavior. Uh, in short, everything that you would find in pandas can be found to occur as a result of inflammation. And I think we've talked about this previously, but Antibiotics uh, will destroy all the bacteria in the body in a matter of five to seven days. And the majority of these bacteria are gram-negative bacteria. They contain a substance called lipopolysaccharide. And the body is very highly allergic to this substance. And when you're destroying 100 trillion bacteria in the body in a matter of five to seven days, you are overwhelming the body's ability to handle all of this bacterial waste which is flooding the body. In fact, the amount that would result from destroying all the bacteria in the body in five to seven days would be two and a half million times more than what has been shown to be necessary to permanently light up the brain with inflammation. So uh, in terms of the candida plan, we've seen a lot of tremendous results with all types of neurological conditions. And I think it's because of this direct relationship with what antibiotics do in the body and how candida promotes inflammation. So antibiotics, I think, really are probably something that should always be considered with pandas and with anything neurological. Um, I have yet to hear back from this woman, but I hope to, as this is most likely a problem with the damage done to the microbiome from antibiotics. Um, and that brings us right back to our topic today, probiotics. So the microbiome, probiotics, candida diets. Uh, so there you have it. If you're doing a candida diet, um, or if you're just in general taking probiotics, probiotics have great potential, but how and when they are used will determine the degree of their effectiveness. If you use them with the right timing, you're going to have much greater effectiveness and a greater likelihood for success. Um, so that's basically it for our show today. A little bit shorter, maybe just by a few minutes. It's uh, the 4th of July weekend, and I hope everybody has a great weekend, enjoys the, the holiday, enjoys the weekend, enjoys time with their family. Uh, we'll be back again next week and uh, with more talk on candida diets and the various topics around that. This is Dr. Jeff McCombs. Thank you for listening in.